Uh, we're, we're carrying on with our study of the Apostles' Creed. And if you don't, you know, if you haven't been here before and you just kind of started coming the last few weeks or last couple months, we don't actually in our tradition read the Apostles' Creed every Sunday all the time. But we have been doing that during this series because we're just wanting to kind of let it get into us a little bit. Let, us, let it soak into our bones and right into our soul. This is a creed that's been around uh, really in, in this form since about the 5th century that we've been reading. But its roots it's, you know, go back all the way to the words of Jesus himself and to the apostles' teaching uh, that just followed him. And so we're, we're wanting to, to own it. We're really wanting these, these, these affirmations of the Christian church to, to become our own. But, but I have to tell you that really our goal from the very beginning was, was threefold. For, for some, uh, we hope that this would really be a confirmation for you, that, that as we stood here and talked about these core beliefs of, of the church of Jesus Christ, that some of you would say to yourselves and anyone else who would listen, yes. That's right. I believe in that. Well said. Yes, I can't, you know, get at it any better. So a confirmation for some of us. For, for others of us, we, we hoped that it would be kind of a, maybe a slight correction. Uh, as I've said before, that it, there's, there's all kinds of um, kind of pop philosophy, popular philosophy and even new age kind of thinking that e- so easily creeps into uh, the church and even good church folks like many of you can have this kind of hybrid concept of Christian faith and other things kind of blending together. And so we've hoped that as we've talked about these essential beliefs of the church that maybe some of us would say, ooh, I didn't quite think about it like that way. That's, that's good. I'm going to try to own that a little bit more in my life. And then the third layer, though, we, we hope that for some of you, this would just start a conversation. Some of you are like just in this journey on this quest kind of like what do Christians believe do I really want to believe that myself and what's going on here in in the church what what's what's this been all about for all these thousands of years and and should I kind of pursue it and engage it myself and we've hoped that by looking at some of the core beliefs of the church you've been able to just to say that's interesting I'm I'd like to think about that a little bit more. I'd like to start a conversation between myself, really, and, and God, just inquiring as to what he would have for us. So if it's hit you at any of those levels, awesome. If it's hit you in some other way, awesome. That's fine as well. And uh, that often happens when the Holy Spirit gets involved anyway. And uh, so, so we hope that this has been a, hel- a helpful thing for you. We're coming actually to the last week next week, and uh, Pastor Jake will be speaking on the, the last a part about the resurrection of the body and life everlasting. So you'll want to be here to hear all about that. But today we look at one of just the core essential truths and doctrines that uh, we build our faith upon. We've talked about God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Last week, Pastor Danny helped us think about and talk about the church, the importance of the body of Christ. And today we talk about this next part. I'm not going to give it away because I want us to read it. Let's read it together. I believe... In the forgiveness of sins. That's it. No more explanation. No more elaboration. Just think with me a celebration, really, of this incredible concept. This beautiful, gracious idea that God has introduced into the world. This this beautiful concept of the the, the belief in the forgiveness of sins. And so I'm going to do a little bit here to maybe explain... 
what we believe, what, what we mean when we say we believe in the forgiveness of sins. But I've made a commitment to myself. And from the very beginning of this week, as I began to prepare, I was like, all right, it's so simple in the creed. And it's so simple in Scripture. Do not mess it up. Do not make this more confusing. So if you at any point start to get confused this morning, would you look at me and say, <laughs> all right, so I'll be looking for the, because if I make this more confusing than it already is, then we've got problems. But uh, we want to talk about the forgiveness of sins. The, the, the scholars think that maybe this was a late addition to the creed, that, that the parts about the Father, Son, and Spirit were right off the beginning. But maybe about the third or fourth century, they added this part to the creed. And they think maybe it was in response to some specific things that were going on, maybe some, some unforgiveness, right, in the church that was going on, that they, they felt the need to add in this critical teaching of Jesus and this core truth that runs throughout Scripture. And so they added it back in. But whether or not it was from a, you know, a one-time event or, or just kind of a general drifting of the people of God away from the idea of forgiveness— what we find is that the, the very presence of this statement in the creed reveals the fact that there were some early believers who were, who were passionate, who were passionately concerned that the church never lose sight of this amazing truth that, that God forgives. And, and, and my hope today is that we can maybe kind of reignite some of that passion even among ourselves, that, that, we, would, that we would be struck in a new and a fresh way about the power of God's forgiveness and even the truth of it, that God's forgiveness that comes to us and then can flow out from us to the world that we live in. So there are a ton of scriptures throughout the Bible that speak to forgiveness. And, and perhaps some of you have your favorites coming to mind right now. And, and I started to kind of pick and choose and this and that. And I was like, I can never get to them all. So I just chose one story from the life of Jesus that I think really characterizes some of the greatest truths about forgiveness that, that if I would have you hold on to some this morning, these are some of them. So I want you to look with me at this story from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. And if you have a Bible or you want to grab one from uh, the, the seat in front of you, you can turn to the Gospel of Luke. Remember the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. And uh, this is uh, actually, this, is, this story is only recorded in the Gospel of Luke. It's not in this in this form, in either of the other Gospels, and so it's a unique story. But I want us to listen to it and then lift out just some truths that are revealed there as we grab hold of this concept a little bit more tightly, perhaps, of forgiveness. So would you stand with me? And let me just read to you this, uh, this great story. As I read, just open your heart. Just, just, just let the Word even speak to you this morning. It's more than just information, but formational uh, words. Verse 36 of chapter 7 in the Gospel of Luke. And you can just follow along as I read for you. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A Pharisee was a religious leader. And uh, usually they and Jesus didn't get along so well. Some of you are aware of. And so this was a little bit interesting that he had invited Jesus to his house for dinner. But... Uh, a great opportunity for some interchange here. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, 
she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, notice, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, which just don't miss the irony of that, would you? He spoke to himself and said, if this man were a prophet, and then Jesus answered him, thus revealing that, in fact, he was a prophet, and, and so much more. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, which a denarii was a day's wage, so 500 days' wages, and the other owed him 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this? who even forgives sins. And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hey, you can be seated. Well, uh, I, I don't know. As, as I read and studied that story, it just struck me in so many different ways this week. Really, you know, at an emotional level, maybe for a lot of us, even as we listen to that, we're like, oh struck by the power of that story. And, and if, you know, if it just strikes you there deep in your gut, just, just at an emotional level, then just let that resonate, would you? Just let that just kind of move around in your spirit and, and let it speak to you in a, in a beautiful way. I mean, just that the story alone is enough maybe to bring some of us to uh, just even to tears. But, but I, I want to I just draw out some truths about forgiveness from this story. Just some things that we need to know, it, that, that the church is saying when we say we believe in the forgiveness of sins. And a few things that emerge just beautifully, I think, from this little story that, that, we can, that we can grab onto as we get at ourselves what we believe about forgiveness. The first truth is just this. You can write some of these down if you'd like to, just to help you remember. The first truth is this, that God stands ready and willing to forgive. It's important to note from this story that at the very beginning, when we start to think about forgiveness at all, to remember that it is a God thing. God is the one who, who thought up the idea. We, we didn't come up with it. 
We didn't think, wow, wouldn't it be great if God forgave us? No, God initiated this idea, and God is the one who starts the process in our lives. It, is, it begins and ends with God. Forgiveness is his. He owns it. And he stands ready and willing to forgive. And the, the, the fact that this woman who comes to Jesus has been forgiven herself, it's evident that, that she has already experienced the forgiveness of God as she comes before Jesus, that, 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 that he has stood ready and willing to forgive her. Um, most of the time, the, the, when we think about people in authority positions, we, we don't think of them in terms of being ready and willing to forgive. Usually, if you're anything like me, we think of them in terms of being ready and willing to pounce on us, you know, or to get us. If we want to think of, uh, you know, police officers here to protect and serve, right? And we're afraid of them. We're like, they're going to get us. Or, or uh, school principals. I, I thought about school principals. You know, did you ever get a note, you know, come to the principal's office? I did, yeah. I, I'm hoping there was a few of us here that, that, that got those kind of notes. And, and, and usually that's not a good thing, you know. Or, or even some of our parents, if we think about authority figures, they're, they're not always standing ready and willing to forgive. Usually standing ready and willing to, you know, give us a, a whooping or, or, you know, at least get us in trouble for some... Uh, something that we ha have done. Um, I, I, uh, I got pulled over at, uh, at around Christmas time. I was coming back from worship team practice of all places, and uh, I, I was evidently, um, you know, intoxicated with the love of Jesus because um, I was driving with my bright lights on. And uh, I guess around Christmas time, you know, the police officers are especially wary of maybe drivers under the influence, and understandably so. And sometimes driving with your brights on is an indicator that the driver is not all there, and, uh, which is probably the case in my case. But I, I was there, but I was pulling into my neighborhood, and the lights began to flash behind me. Oh, what, a, what a great joy that was. And, and so, you know, my instant reaction is, oh, what, what did I do? What, what's going on? What, he's going to get me. He's going to nail me. I, I'm pretty sure that light was green, but he's going to get me anyway. And so he came up to me and he said, you know, where are you, where, where are you coming from, sir? I said, actually, church. <laughs> and then he still had to ask the question, so how much have you had to drink tonight, sir? <laughs> I was like, oh, man, it's not that kind of church. And, uh, and, 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 and then he, you know, I'm trying, and you had your brights on, I'm like, I'm sorry about that, yeah, I realize that, that's yeah, not a good scene, I'm sorry, and, and then he said, well, um, put your eyes on my finger. <laughs> yeah, and at this point I'm thinking, all right, what if some of my neighbors drive by? <laughs> And what are they going to be thinking about the pastor having a good time, evidently, and starts to, you know, make me, I'm like, I'm going to fail. I know I'm going to fail. The pressure's mounting, and I know I'm going to fail. What's going to happen? Thankfully, I passed that test, and then somebody drove by and yelled something at him, and so he said, here's your license, have a good night, and got in his car and burned out and chased those people, and I was like, God bless you, friend. Thank you very much. 
But isn't it interesting that, that that's our impression, that's our understanding, that, that in that instance, I wasn't thinking that this officer was here to protect and serve, to, to help clear the roads of drunk drivers and keep us safe. I was thinking, he's going to get me for something. And I think that whether, you know, we transpose or transfer sometimes this, this common understanding, the common way that we think about authority figures onto God himself. And, and we walk around with this thinking that, and whether you're a believer or a non-believer, we walk around with this thinking that God is just out to get me. Oh, he loves me. Right. But as soon as I mess up, as soon as I make a mistake, as soon as I doubt a little bit, or as soon as I make an error, or, or, or whatever it might be, then he's ready to pounce on me and forgive me, or I've done, or, and, and condemn me, or, or I've just done too much. And there's no way that he could be willing and ready to forgive me. He's looking at me askew, askance, and just thinking to himself, well, there he goes, that's his problem. No, this passage of Scripture and all of Scripture affirms this great truth that God stands ready and willing to forgive. Now I want to give you three quick R's of forgiveness. What, what does the Bible say uh, about forgiveness? What is it? What goes on? What does God do when he forgives us? And the first R is simply this. He, he redeems us. Forgiveness is redemption. And this idea of redeeming is setting us free. This whole idea that we are slaves to sin, that, that the bondage of sin has shackled us and is keeping us from experiencing the full life that God would have us to, to, to experience. The full life that he created us and, and designed us to experience. Sin, our disobedience and our missing of the mark has kept us from that. And so God, when he forgives us, he redeems us. He, he pays the price and he's done that through his son Jesus. And he sets us free. We are redeemed. Our debt has been canceled. And that story that Jesus told, you know, he's talking to Simon and he's talking about the woman and he says, well, they're not getting it. He's not getting it. Let me tell him a story. There's a money lender. You get it? There's a money lender. It's God. And, and, and these people owe him much. Some have great. He, what did the money lender do? 550. Canceled. Debt canceled. Set free from your Debt. That's what God does for us in forgiveness. The first one, redeeming. The second one is this idea of reconciliation. That's a big word that simply means that when God forgives us, he makes things right in our relationship with him. He simply says, yeah, you've been rebellious. Yeah, you've gone your own way. Yeah, you've, you've maybe stepped away from me. You've turned your back on me. Maybe by no fault of your own necessarily, you've just kind of done things your own way. And because of our sin, the Bible teaches us that, that our relationship with God is broken. It's a broken relationship. But Jesus comes and he helps restore and renew that relationship. And so when God reconciles us to himself, again, we don't reconcile ourselves to God. The Bible says God reconciles us to him. He, he re renews that relationship and makes it right. We can enter into, that's why we talk about a personal relationship with God that everyone has the opportunity to experience because God makes it possible through forgiveness. And the last one is this idea of restoration. And, and I need to just hit this to you because there's some of you who are here today who are believers. You've walked with Jesus for maybe a long time. But there are points of your life where you just, you willfully disobey God. You know what he wants you to do, and you do something else. And, and there are two things that can happen when that occurs. One is that you can willfully disobey him again, and again, 
and continue now on this trajectory of destruction and devastation and continue to make willful transgressions against the, the will of God for your life. Or in that moment, when you make this wrong choice and when you step against God and act in a sinful way, you can simply say, God, restore me. Forgive me. There's a great passage of Scripture in 1 John where the writer John says, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. In other words, the, the hope and the desire is that we, we will live in a way that is pleasing to God all of our lives. But then the very next line says this, but if you do sin, see, John knew we were human. And so he wrote, if you do sin, there is one who stands in your defense. And that's Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And so you need to know that if you're in that place or if you come to that place, don't just kind of drown in that place. Let God throw you a lifeline and pull you up and restore us. That's one of the beautiful aspects of God's forgiveness. He stands ready and willing to forgive. Second truth I want to point out is this, that no one is beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. Can we all say it? Amen. <laughs> no one is beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. And this story illustrates it so beautifully. Here's this, uh, here's this gal. That, that comes before uh, Jesus. She's been forgiven by God, and now she comes to, to Jesus. She knows that in Jesus is the representation, is the, is the coming of God's kingdom and, and the forgiveness that he offers. He, she knows this. She's been forgiven. And, and just the, the very testimony of the kind of woman that she was and what Simon says about her reveals to us this very truth, that no one stands beyond the reach of, of God's forgiveness. We, uh, we know that God stands ready to forgive, um, but sometimes we just kind of think that uh, either ourselves or somebody else just is too far gone, too far beyond the, uh, the reach of God, but, uh, but, but not true. A lot, a lot of folks think that, that this gal was maybe a prostitute, that she was an adulterer, that she had done something in these, the, this realm to just earn this reputation. And you, you see it from Simon and his reaction to her, and, and, and there's lots of conjecture about who this woman was. Is it Mary Magdalene or is it the woman uh, who had been caught in adultery? But it doesn't really say. It just doesn't say to us. But, but even Simon, you, you see his response to her when, when she comes in and how he speaks to himself, right? About if this man were a prophet, then he would know who this woman is, that, she, that she's a sinner. And I don't know about you, but when I read this story this week, I myself was a little uncomfortable with this gal and her treatment of, of Jesus and, and, you know, kind of coming into this place and who she was and now treating Jesus in such a, you know, an obviously uh, devotional way, you know, coming, coming to Jesus in this way. And still it's a little bit, it's a little bit awkward. It's a little bit uncomfortable, perhaps, and, and just wondering who she's been. And, and we have a tendency to do that sometimes, don't we? Just to think about other folks or even to think about ourselves in such a way that maybe are, are we really deserving of the forgiveness of God? Are we really uh, deserving of, of this great and precious gift? Um, I have the, the privilege, I've just started in the last few months, couple of months, to um, have a little bit of flexibility in my schedule. So on Monday and Wednesday mornings, I take my kids to school. And uh, I just started at the, after Christmas, actually, just staying for about 15 minutes after I dropped them off and staying there at their school. And, uh, 
And I just told their teachers, actually I had my wife tell them because she talks to them more often than I do. Tell, tell their teachers that I want to just read for 15 minutes with a boy who maybe doesn't read so well and maybe doesn't have a dad around his house. And I just like to spend 15 minutes uh, with, with, you know, some boys or, you know, in a situation like that. And they jumped at that chance. And so over the last uh, five weeks or so, I've had these opportunities just to, just to hang out with these, these kids and just read and hang out and ask them about their weekend. I do it on Monday and Wednesday and just talk a little bit. And I'm not sure if we're getting all the academic work done, maybe that we should, but we're building relationships and just having a having a good time together. You, you remember a, a, a principle, you know, that, that came through government and education, this idea of no child left behind, right? And, and it's a, I, I would say in name, it's a great idea and a great concept, but the reality is if you go to any schools these days, there's plenty of kids being left behind. I've got several teachers here in our church here this morning, and we applaud the incredible work that they do, and yet it's, it's hard, hard work. And, and sometimes when I'm in there and I see some of these kids and hear some of the stories from my, my wife about some of the kids even in our, in our children's classes, it just strikes you that, that they're, they're being kind of left behind. I mean, I mean, by no fault of anybody. It's just the, and you begin to think, well, with all the, all the family dynamics and, and the, the, the things that are working against them, and Maybe some of the, you know, the, the disabilities that, that some of them have, you know, is there any hope for them, really? Or are they beyond the reach of an educational system? Well, my, my hope and my prayer is that through the great work of these teachers and others, that none of those kids will be left behind, that they are not beyond the reach of the educational system. But, but I have to remind you and let you know again that the story tells us a, a similar truth. That, that God has worked in such a way that, that not a single person, no matter what their background, no matter what their disability, no matter what their, their family history, no matter what their context, not a single person is beyond his reach if they will come to him in humility and repentance, seeking his forgiveness, he grants it willingly and freely. And so this causes us to, first of all, think about ourselves, right? Think about ourselves. Are, maybe some of us are in that position. We, we wonder about the things that we've done and the things that we've been and whether or not God can forgive us. This woman was, you know, one scenario, but maybe our scenario is similar or something completely different. And we wrestle every day, perhaps, with the question of, can God forgive me for what I've done? Well, we need to hear this truth again, that he does indeed desire and stands ready to forgive you and even you. But secondly, we have, this causes us to think about others. And this is really where it, you know, gets touchy for, for many of us. Because we can think about God forgiving us, but not that guy. You know, or, and I'm not pointing at anyone in particular, by the way. That guy out there. Uh, you know, we think about that person who has hurt us the most. We think about that person who has just obviously gone against God's will and God's purposes for his life and has, has inflicted so much pain or agony on certain people, ourselves included. We think about the, the folks who are just so far gone. I mean, we think today about the person who seems the farthest from the reach of God. And yet when we believe this truth, we have to remember that, in fact, even those people 
are within God's reach. And if they're within the reach of God's forgiveness, then I just want to suggest to you that they might even be within the reach of ours. God stands ready to forgive, and no one is beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. The third truth is simply this, that real forgiveness results in radical devotion. Real forgiveness results in radical uh, devotion. Listen again to what Jesus says to Simon, his, his host, when he's critiqued the woman that Jesus has, has, has so warmly greeted. When Jesus says to him, uh, you know, you didn't even give me water for my feet. Uh, you, you, you didn't give me a common greeting of, of a kiss on the cheek when I came in. You didn't even really anoint my head with oil. And, and, and what appears in his comments to, to Simon are that Simon did, did the least that he could do for Jesus. I, I love that phrase, by the way. Oh, that was so nice of you. Well, it was the least I could do. If I could have done any less, I would have done it. But it was the least I could do. Simon here, he, he did literally the least he could do for his, for his guest, Jesus. It, it actually wasn't commonly thought that, that a, a host had to do these things for a visitor. He, they didn't have to provide water for their, to wash their feet. They didn't have to greet them with a kiss. They, they didn't have to anoint their head with oil. By the way, this olive oil that Jesus was referring to there was commonly uh, held by every household in the day. This, this, this in abundant, just kind of, you know, just like we have milk. I mean, they had olive oil available. So he, he, he didn't have to do these things, but but he, he could have, and, and yet um, he, he didn't. And so Jesus then holds in contrast to what Simon has done, this gal who came uh, washing my feet with her tears and anointing my feet with this precious perfume and kissing my feet since I've gotten here. <laughs> she won't stop kissing my feet. And, and, and draws out this amazing truth that when someone has been forgiven, and not only when they've been forgiven, but when they have been gripped by the truth of this forgiveness, when their life has been transformed, when, when they have fully grasped what a difference God has made in them, both now and for all of eternity by that forgiveness, then then, then they cannot help but respond with the most that they could do. Not the least. And as I read this, I just thought, how many of us who are believers today, even, who have received the forgiveness of God, this amazing gift that goes beyond anything that we could ever imagine, how many of us are still responding to God with the least that we can do? Living at this lowest common denominator. Well, I, you know, I don't have to do that, but I could, but I don't have to. So I'll just, I'll just do this, the, the least that I can respond to him. Kind of going through 
the motions, in a sense, in our lives. Well, the story, again, just reminds us that, that when we've experienced the real forgiveness, we will respond. It will result in radical devotion. I think this gal shows it in, in at least a couple of different ways I want to highlight. The first is that her, her response is courageous. Her, her, her reaction to what God has done for, for her causes her to, to, to devote herself to, to, to God in courageous ways. I mean, she is this, this, you know, outcast, this sinner in the community. And yet, what does she do? She, she walks into this context. She hears that Jesus is having dinner with this Pharisee, this, this banquet of sorts, probably, possibly even to honor Jesus. And, and she walks right into that context. Just steps into it. She can't help herself, in other words. The, 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 the nice thing to do would have been to wait at the door until he's done, but she can't help herself. She steps into this where she knew she might be ridiculed, where she knew she might be slandered, and she steps right into it and still offers her devotion and worship to Jesus, courageously stepping into this context. And I just wonder about that for some of us. What might it mean when we are gripped by the truth of God's forgiveness, to what context might it mean for us to, that we need to step into in courageous ways? In terms of some of, maybe some of the conversations that we have with people, what, what, what courageous things do we need to say in terms of who we are and what we believe and, and the kind of life that we're living? What kind of just situations, even at, you know, in the workplace or in school or in your families, when, when, when there's an opportunity to stand up for what you believe and what God has called you to, to, to be and to do, to, what might it mean for us to, in light of the forgiveness of God, to step courageously into those contexts? She, she, she was not cautious. Forgiveness will not allow us to be cautious in our response to God, but to move forward in courageous ways. The second thing is that our devotion will, um, will be costly. She did not anoint the feet of Jesus with the common olive oil that everybody had in abundance. She stood there with an alabaster, how fitting that we have our alabaster offering today. She, she stood there with, because it's a sacrificial giving, right, to build missionary uh, homes and churches around the world. She stood there with her alabaster jar filled with, with fine, beautiful smelling perfume, costly perfume that she was willing in that moment to pour out, not for any real benefit of her own, not, not to, you know, she, didn't, she wasn't there to make the place smell good. She, she was there to, to reveal to Jesus that her most costly possession, perhaps, was, was willing to be poured out in, in gratitude and in thanksgiving to what God had done for her. Her life had been so changed that now her, her investment and her devotion was, was willing to be every, cost everything that she had. And again, we think about the context perhaps for some of us and what might it cost us in terms of our time, in terms of our finances, in terms of our, our, our priorities, in terms of the kind of choices that we might make. What might it cost us in terms of our reputations? This, uh, our, our devotion is not cool. Uh, in other words, in terms of, you know, like, cool. You know, are you with me? So, some of you are very cool, and that's cool. But our, 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 our response to what God has done for us cannot be cool. I mean, it's costly. It, 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 will, it will cost us everything, perhaps, that we have. And too many of us, I think, and too many Christians in the church, and I... I 
like to be cool. I would love to be. And I like to hang out with cool people. And that's a cool thing to do. But when it comes to my devotion to God and, and responding to what he has done for me, then the last thing I need to be worried about is what other people think about me. Amen. I need to think about what God thinks of me. And I hope that's the truth for you as well. So um, real forgiveness results in radical devotion. What would that look like for you? What would that look like for you? Maybe we just pick something out. What would it look like for you to, be, to act in courageous ways this week and in costly ways? The question becomes for us then, what are we to do? What are we to do with this forgiveness that, that God so freely offers us? And, and uh, the first thing there is just to listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus in verse, uh, verse 48. You know, we're, we're, not, we're not Catholic here. We're not Roman Catholic. We're we are Catholic in terms of we're part of the universal church, as Danny said last week. We're not Roman Catholic. Some of you are maybe Roman Catholic, or you have been a part of the Roman Catholic Church, and, and great brothers and sisters, I believe, in faith. Um, but, you know, they, they do something in their church, and some of you are more familiar with this than I am, so if I speak incorrectly, then you can correct me, but in the Roman Catholic Church, there's a thing called confession, right? And you get to go to confession and confess your sins, and in return, the priest gives you some penance to do, some Hail Marys to say, or something else, and then he, you know, absolves you of your sin. Now, I have to tell you that um, there's a lot of reasons why I'm not a Catholic necessarily, but confession is kind of one of them, you know. I, I, um, we believe in the Protestant tradition that we don't necessarily need a priest to go to, to confess our sins, that we can, that we believe in the priesthood of all believers, really is what it's called, that we can go directly, we are priests ourselves, we can go to God directly and confess our sins. And so I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that I don't believe that, <laughs> that I don't have to go to confession, and I'm kind of thankful that I don't get the penance as well, right? You know, I mean, I don't mind not doing those things. But I have to say that there is one thing about that tradition that I, that I think I miss out on sometimes, and that I sometimes kind of long for, and uh, maybe you do as well, and that is that when I ask for 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 forgiveness, to have actually someone in a physical presence to look me in the eye and say to me, you are absolved of your sins. Your sins are forgiven. Because sometimes, if you're anything like me, sometimes I, I ask for forgiveness and I'm like, did he? You know, I think he did. I'm pretty sure. You know, it says he did, so we did. And we can believe that, and that's a good thing, but sometimes, would it be nice just to have somebody look you in the eye and say, your sins are, let me just do it for you, your sins are forgiven. And this is what Jesus does to this woman. She has, she has experienced forgiveness of God already in her life. That's evident by the way she acts in, this, in these moments. She's already experienced, but he turns to her in this moment and says, you know, this Simon guy, he doesn't quite get it. Don't worry about these people. What you experience with God is, in fact, true. It is real. It is genuine. Your devotion is revealing it to be the case. And so let me just confirm it. Can I do that? And she's like, yeah. And he says, your sins are forgiven. 
So I would love for you to uh, do this. We need to receive, what do we need to do? We need to receive the forgiveness of God. That's the first thing we need to do. And maybe some of you need to receive it for the very first time this morning. Maybe some of you have never asked God to forgive you of your sin. Never asked God to forgive you of your disobedience. Your, your, maybe it hasn't even been uh, willful rebellion against God, but the Bible says that we have all sinned, and we would all have to agree at some point that we have missed the mark of what God would have for us. And maybe some of you have never ask for that forgiveness again before, and you just need to be, in a sense, born again to receive the forgiveness of God for the first time this morning. I would love that to be the case. Others of us, we have received that forgiveness before, but we have, whoa, missed the mark, and we need to perhaps receive it afresh and anew. We don't need to be born again. We need to grow up, and we need to allow that forgiveness to, to grab hold of us in a new and a fresh way this morning. So I would love for you to be able to picture Jesus staring into your face, gazing into your eyes, piercing your soul, and, and to see his face looking at you and saying, you are forgiven of your sins. And if for some reason you can't picture Jesus, then I'll be a substitute. I'll be a stand-in here. And, and let my words just be the words of Jesus to you. You are forgiven of your sins. And the only people that can keep us from receiving that are ourselves. When we come with humble hearts, with repentant hearts, and with a willingness to change, God stands ready and willing to forgive us. So receive the forgiveness of God. The second thing, though, is this. Once we receive it, we've got to start, re read it with me, would you? Start living like you're forgiven. I made it rhyme there for you so you can remember it. Start living like you're forgiven. And, and that will manifest itself in so many different ways potentially for you. In your worship before the Lord, in your devotion to Him, in your lack of concern for your reputation and your concern only for how, what He knows about you, in your forgiveness of other people who have so wronged you and don't necessarily deserve it. Remember, Forgiving someone doesn't mean that it was okay, that you just excuse it, or that you condone it in any way. It doesn't mean even that you necessarily completely forget it. God can do that. I'm not completely sure we can, but forgiving means that we let it go, really, to God. And so maybe that's one way that we can start living like we're forgiven. But, but it, it might be in your devotion. It might be in the way that we live in, in new and fresh ways uh, uh, before the Lord. Start. What a great opportunity. And when we've been gripped, when we've been grabbed by this amazing truth, when we can say, not just mentally assenting or intellectually agreeing, but with our hearts, we can say with the church for centuries, I believe in the forgiveness of sins, then what a transformation is possible in our own lives and in the church and in the world. Why don't you stand up with me, would you? And invite the worship team to come. Sing this song. Remember, it all starts with him. It's God's kindness and it's his love that opens the door for our response of repentance and his gift of forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much uh, for, for this incredible truth that we've had our attention drawn to this morning. Thank you for the chance to, to respond to it even now. And, and this, this truth is not one that we can simply just let sit there and just kind of admire. It's not one that we can just kind of decide whether or not we want to mentally or intellectually agree with. 
your invitation um, is for us to dive in to it. Perhaps it's, it's fitting and appropriate that, that the creed only gives it one line, no elaboration, no explanation. Perhaps uh, over the, the centuries, as, as Christians have tried to explain and elaborate and understand, we've just clouded up the, the issue. Perhaps we need, even right now, to, to, to worry less about trying to explain and just more about experiencing this gracious gift. So, so whether it's for the very first time that some here this morning would say, God, would you forgive me of my sins? I'm not even sure completely what that means. But I know that I haven't been all that you wanted me to be. I know that I've maybe missed the mark a time or two or three in my life. But, but I'm hearing this amazing truth that you stand ready and willing to forgive. Would you forgive even me of my sins? Or whether there's others who are growing up a little bit right now and, and, and again, they need to, to come to you and, and, and just declare this truth that perhaps they've gone astray or begun to act in ways that are, that are leading them on a, on a different path than the one that they've declared they want to, to be on. May, may we too be able to pray with conviction and with confidence, God, forgive me of my sins. May we each be able to, to pray this, to confess this, to respond to you. Because our confidence then is that as you do these things, we, we emerge new people. We emerge people who have been set free. We emerge people who, who have a right relationship with our Creator. We, have a, uh, we emerge people who are uh, given the fresh opportunity to, to respond in loving and total devotion to you. So be with us even as we respond to you now. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.